Good morning. Um, if I haven't met you yet, my name is uh, Chip Dimitri, and I'm one of the newer staff members here at Green Tree. I'm the worship director. We got here about six months ago, um, came with my wife, Peggy, and my three sons, Joshua, Zachary, and Nathan. And in Peru, they actually used to call me Cheap. So uh, that's, a, that's not quite as good as Gene, but... Um, well, we love it here so far. Um, we love St. Louis. We love Kirkwood. We love this church community. Um, I especially loved last week seeing all the Stephen ministers come forward. When Anton invited them to come forward, I thought maybe like eight or ten people would come forward, and it seemed like half the congregation came forward. And so I love the fact that this is a church that on any given Sunday, um, there are ten or twelve people ready to pray with you or talk with you if you're, if you're struggling. So um, today we are taking a break from Romans. Tom took a study week this week, and uh, you have me. And uh, so I am very privileged to be here, and I, and I consider that a privilege. I'm thankful to Tom and to the elders for affording me this opportunity, for trusting me to bring God's word to you this morning. And uh, so let's jump in. I want to start by talking about what you see on the screen right here. If you haven't um, recognized it already, this is the statue of David as done by Michelangelo. And I want to give you a little bit of background about this statue, and I think it will help us as we uh, continue this morning. Wikipedia says that it was sculpted from 1501 to 1504, and that it's the most recognizable stone in history. And maybe something that you didn't know about this stone was that the original stone um, was rejected by several other artists before Michelangelo got it. In fact, they think that Leonardo da Vinci was one of those artists that rejected it. And the reason was is that the stone was flawed and considered unusable by them. And perhaps it's fitting that a statue of King David came from a flawed stone. Because if you know the story of David, you know that his life was flawed in many ways, yet at the same time, God says of him that he was a man after God's own heart. And in a very real way, made something beautiful out of the life of this flawed, ruddy shepherd boy, short in stature. I like that part. In fact, the Messiah would later come through the line of David. So what made David's life so beautiful and so special? That's what I want us to look at this morning. But before we launch into our main text, which will be Psalm 51, I want to give you a little background into who David was. And most of this will come from 1 and 2 Samuel. I'm going I'm to do this in very broad strokes and very quickly move through the life of David to give us a context for when we get to Psalm 51. First of all, he was an unlikely hero. Perhaps you remember of the, the story of the prophet Samuel coming to anoint one of the sons of Jesse as king. This had been foretold to him. Jesse paraded all of David's brothers in front of Samuel without even mentioning David. Finally, Samuel asks, are these all the sons that you have? And Jesse replies, well, they're still the youngest, but he's in the fields tending the sheep. This was considered a lowly job. 
And so David, the least likely by external standards, as we know, became the Lord's anointed. Then we read about an evil spirit that was tormenting Saul. And one of the servants told Saul that David was a talented musician, a brave man and a warrior, and that the Lord was with him. So David played for Saul and the tormenting subsided. And Saul began to call David to his court whenever he wanted relief from the torment. Then there was the battle with the Philistines in which the giant Goliath was taunting Israel's armies. David's brothers held respected positions in the king's army while David was home tending the sheep and in between being called to Saul's court. David's father asked him to take supplies to his brothers who were involved in the battle. And upon arriving, David caught wind of what was happening with this giant Goliath and he became indignant. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God, David asked. When Saul overheard David, he sent for him. David said to Saul, Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of God. Saul's reply is very telling. You're not able to go out against these Philistines. You're just a young boy and he's been fighting men from his youth. But David did it anyway, and and of course we know the rest of the story. David defeated Goliath with a slingshot and five smooth stones. The soldiers must have been in shock. After this, Saul kept David with him and wouldn't let him return home. As word spread of David's amazing victory over Goliath, his popularity grew among the people, and this made Saul very jealous. Eventually, this led Saul to try to kill David, And one day while David was playing harp for him, he hurled a spear at David. And David narrowly escaped with his life. Saul went after David so that he could kill him. And this pursuit went on for some time. While seeking refuge in a cave, his family joined him there with 400 other men who were in trouble or in debt. And David became their leader or their captain. There's some interesting detail about this time period when Saul was pursuing David that I won't go into, but I will share this. David actually had the opportunity to kill Saul at least a couple of times, but spared his life out of respect for Saul's position as the Lord's appointed king. Eventually, the Philistines attacked Israel, and Saul and his sons were killed, including David's closest friend, Jonathan. David was deeply saddened by the loss of Saul and Jonathan. Shortly after this, David was appointed king of Judah, and then later also became king of Israel as well. The kingdom was united under David, and they enjoyed a great season of prosperity under him. He became the most respected leader in Israel's history. His fame and his reputation just kept growing. The Lord's blessing was on him. Isn't that a great story? But I forgot something. Ah, yes. The little thing with Bathsheba and the small detail of him committing adultery with Bathsheba and then trying to cover it up by having her husband Uriah killed on the front lines. Why was this story included? You would think that the scribe would have left this little tidbit out so that Israel's history would have seemed more glowing. Why did God allow this story to be to make it into the Bible. In fact, why does God allow us to see the sin and brokenness of so many biblical characters? There was Abraham who tried to write off his, pass off his wife as his sister 
to save his own skin. And there was Moses who murdered the Egyptian. Jacob conspired with his mother to steal God's blessing from his brother Esau. And the list goes on. Why does God let us see all of this dysfunction, to use a modern term? Well, I believe it's because beauty can come from this brokenness, and God can receive glory from it. This morning, we're going to look at Psalm 51, and as we do, we'll see deeper into the heart of David, a flawed and broken man, loved by God, a man after God's own heart. David wrote this psalm shortly after the prophet Nathan confronted him with his sin. And this is basically David pouring out his heart to God. So just read along in your Bible, or it will also be on the screen here. Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you. Save me from blood guilt, O God, the God who saves me, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. And we'll stop there. Pray with me. Lord, we thank you for your holy and precious word. And we pray that you would illuminate it to us this morning through your Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that anything that is not of you would fall on deaf ears. And what is of you would penetrate deeply into our hearts and transform us and make us more like Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So what do we see in this psalm and in the heart of David that makes brokenness beautiful. The first thing that I want us to see is truth. Look at verses 3 through 6. David is coming out into the light. He wants to be clean with God. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. God knows it anyway. Why would David try to hide it? And yet he does. Many of us here today are parents, and maybe you remember as a parent a time when uh, you caught your child doing something disobedient and then confronted them with it. What is it in that moment that you, you want most from your child? 
I know for me, I want my sons to be honest and tell me the truth. A lie would be worse than the actual disobedience. And I believe it's the same with God. What he desires from us in those moments when we are confronted with our sin is truth and honesty. That leads us to the next thing that makes brokenness beautiful, and that's a heart of repentance, a heart of confessing to God and being honest with him about our failures and our sin. David is coming to God in complete honesty, and he's asking for forgiveness, believing that God loves him and will indeed restore him. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. This says a lot about David, but it also says a lot about God. David knows something about God's character. He feels safe being honest and open with God, and he believes that God will forgive him and will make him clean again. He trusts God. Look at verse 1 of Psalm 51 again. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. David knows something from time and experience spent with God. He knows that he is merciful and compassionate and loving. And so he is putting his hope in that. Do you feel safe being honest with God? Do you see God as David saw him? With a love that is unfailing, merciful, compassionate? Do you believe God will forgive you and restore you and make you clean again? If you haven't, you haven't spent enough time with God. Listen how much God loves you. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your Father. And even the very hairs of your head are numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Matthew 10, 29 through 31. And this is what the Bible says about our sin after we confess it and how our Father responds to us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1, 9. And then listen to what it says in Psalm 103, verses 11 through 13. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. There is a true joy that comes from repentance. A weight that is lifted when we come clean with God. When we bring sin and sorrow to God, he replaces it with beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair, Isaiah 61.3. The third thing we see that makes brokenness beautiful is community. David says in verse 13, Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will turn back to you. God will use our brokenness to minister to others. If someone else is struggling, who is the best person to help them? Someone else who's been through that, who's further down the path, who can be a guide and a counsel. By hiding our struggles and putting on airs, we rob others of that blessing. 
we all end up walking around feeling like our problems are so crazy, so off the chart that nobody could possibly understand what we're going through. And guess who wins when we believe that? Satan does. If he can keep us isolated and alone in our struggles, we are less effective for God's kingdom. His tactic is to divide and conquer us. It reminds me of those um, wildlife videos where the lion is crouched in the the grass and there's kind of the unsuspecting um, herd of gazelle. And it's usually the one gazelle that kind of gets off to the side and then the lion pounces. As we learn to live open and honest about our struggles, we see that others have gone through similar things and we start to hear our story and the stories of others. We begin to feel less alone as others share our burdens with us. And this diffuses Satan's ability to use the secrets to haunt us, to make us ineffective. As we come together in this kind of community, we become an unstoppable force for God's kingdom. This is what the body of Christ is about. Christianity is a team sport. Listen to what 1 Peter 2, 4 through 5 says. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And then in verse 10, once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. How amazing that that is part of our identification as God's people. We are a community that has received mercy, a community that has been forgiven. We have blown it, but God has been merciful and continues to be merciful. His love is inexhaustible. And as we become a community of broken people who are learning to live humbly and honestly while depending on God, it makes us beautiful. A spiritual house, a royal priesthood, God's community, God's family. And that brings us to the last thing that I want us to see this morning that makes brokenness brokenness beautiful, and that's dependence. Reliance on God for everything. David says in verses 16 through 17, You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. God wants our love and our devotion more than he wants our sacrifice. He's not concerned with the things that we think we bring to him and to his kingdom. He's not concerned with the strength that we think we bring to the table. He's much more concerned with our hearts. As we reveal our brokenness and our weakness to God and to others, God's strength is seen more clearly in our lives. And as we grow in dependence on him, it brings him honor and glory as the world sees that we are his people directed by him. And we attempt great things because God is our strength. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10. 
But Jesus said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I, Paul, will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So the question this morning is not, are you broken? Am I broken? Because let's face it, we are all broken, sinful people. And we have seen that so eloquently these last few weeks as Tom has taken us through Romans 3. But just as a reminder, let me read a little bit of what we've been hearing from Tom. Romans 3, 10 through 12. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. So the question this morning is not, are you broken? But rather, how will you respond to your brokenness? I wish I could say that my response to brokenness has always been the right one. But that's just not the case. And so to share a little of my testimony... At an early age, I was diagnosed um, with something called Tourette syndrome. At the time, the doctors knew very little about it, except that it's mostly predominant in early childhood, and then in adolescence, gets really bad. But as an adult, typically will go into remission or go away. The symptoms can be a multitude of things like body twitching, rapid eye blinking. In some cases, there are people who have uncontrollable verbal shouts. Thankfully, my symptoms were not that extreme. But they were bad enough to make other kids ridicule me, um, especially in middle school. And the worst was when teachers would thump me with a pencil or they would shout at me and try to shock me out of um, my twitching, all of which was very humiliating. All of this made me feel alone and isolated. I learned at an early age to retreat from people because I feared what they might say or might do. I also learned at an early age to despise myself or at least my body. At this time, music became a refuge for me. It was a place where I could immerse myself in something creative and escape. And now looking back, I think it's a place where God really communed with me. This self-loathing and fear of people motivated me to create other versions of myself that I thought were more socially desirable. I was driven to perform and excel because if I could convince you to like me, maybe I would like myself. As I got older and began to leave most of the symptoms of Tourette's behind, I continued living out these other versions of myself that had seemed most successful. There was the accomplished musician chip. There was the campus crusade for Christ chip. And later there was the worship and missions pastor chip. They all had parts of the real me in them, but there was this other part of me that was scared and hiding. Several years ago, while we were serving as missionaries in Cusco, Peru, it all came to a crossroads. The missionary chip was on an all-time high. And as missionaries, people treated us like rock stars. It felt like my 
my reputation, my resume was off the charts. The problem was I was worn out and my family was worn out. You see, it takes a lot of work to sustain these created versions of myself. And in God's great mercy, he brought me to my end, to the end of my ability to do it. My world came crashing down. I experienced something that I've heard called the blessing of losing it all. Our family was imploding. I was confused. I was mad at God. And at the same time, I was crying out to him for help. The amazing thing was is that in that really dark lonely place that I referred to as the abyss God was there and it was enough and it was beautiful that was the beginning of recovery for me for our marriage and our family and now I'm able to share with you today that Peggy and I and the boys share fellowship and love that we never thought was possible we had bought into the American dream as reflected by television And we thought that's all that was possible. But now we know there is so much more than that. So I'm not done. I'm not fixed. It's a process. I still blow it all the time, ask my wife. I'm not a broken man that has been fixed, but rather a broken man that is healing. And one day I will be completely healed when I look my Savior in the face. With God's daily grace and mercies and friends that have joined me in the journey, I'm learning to be the chip that God created me to be. He didn't even like those other ones anyway. He didn't create them. I walk a little lighter and freer today, and I believe that I'm beginning to let God turn something broken into something beautiful. Michelangelo turned a flawed stone rejected by others into a masterpiece. And God wants to do the same thing with our flawed lives. How will you respond to your brokenness? Will you come into the light and learn to be honest with God and with others? Will you get into community and become a part of a people who have experienced mercy? Will you learn to walk in dependence on God, allowing your human weakness to be seen? Will you humble yourself and allow God to make your brokenness beautiful? We're going to spend some time in communion now, and and maybe this will be the beginning for some of you on that journey to living more honestly and openly. And I would just ask you to do that, invite you to do that. Be open and honest with God about your struggles. He can handle it. He is big enough. And as an encouragement... I want to remind you of Psalm 103 as you go into that time. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Pray with me. Lord God, we thank you for... Jesus, who was broken on the cross. And we thank you for the beauty that resulted from that 
in our salvation. Lord God, help us to be open and honest with you, with each other. Help us to receive your truth, Lord God. And then to be honest about our sin. And then to receive the grace that comes through Jesus' death on the cross. And then to enter into a community where we can live with other people who have experienced mercy, a forgiven people, that we might be a royal priesthood, a people that brings you honor and brings you glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.